Blog Talk Radio. Finding food in the open ocean. This is Ken Ham, and we've produced the Family Friendly Answers Bible Curriculum. Have you ever flown over the open ocean and wondered, with so much water, how does a creature find anything to eat? Well, when a fish moves, its brain sends out a tiny nerve impulse. It tells the muscles to contract. Those impulses create an electric field, and many sea creatures can detect these fields because of special pores. They can even tell which direction it came from. In sharks, their electroreception, as it's called, is so sensitive they can detect an electrical field weaker than the one produced by a mere wristwatch. This ability didn't slowly develop over millions of years. It was created by God, allowing creatures to survive in a fallen world. Try a month of our Answers Bible curriculum for Sunday school for free at AnswersRadio.com and discover more fascinating radio programs like this one at AnswersRadio.com.
Goldfish with the VI really. And thanks for listening to Trippy Toll Radio. I'm going to get started with our lesson. This is John MacArthur and Four Ways in Miss Heaven. You can guarantee that you'll die in your sin by just being self-righteous. Just be certain that you're not a sinner. Just invent a lifestyle of religion that fits you. Don't admit you need a Savior. Don't count on your breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Trust your works, and I'll guarantee you, you'll die in your sin. Charles Spurgeon, the renowned British pastor, once observed, No one used stronger or more alarming language than our dear Redeemer concerning the future of ungodly men. He knew nothing of that pretend sympathy which would rather let men perish than warn them against perishing. Such tenderness is merely selfishness, excusing itself from a distasteful duty. Well, friend, today on Grace to You Weekend, John MacArthur delivers a message that does not back away from what Spurgeon called the distasteful duty. John is going to show you the horrible consequences of sin, consequences you will face if you miss out on heaven. It's the conclusion to his series called The Sinfulness of Sin, and you need to hear this. So now, here's John. I want you to turn in your Bible to the 8th chapter of John. The 8th chapter of John. We've all heard the expression, he has nobody to blame but himself. That is a biblical expression. It is an expression that the Spirit of God makes a number of times in Scripture with regard to the sinner. If you perish in your sin, you have no one to blame but yourself. And no passage makes this more poignant or clear than the 8th chapter of John. John wrote this gospel, he says in chapter 20, verse 31, that you might believe and that believing you might have life in the name of Jesus Christ. He wrote it so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, and that believing you might have eternal life. But for those who do not believe, John makes it clear again and again that they will die in their sins and they will never go where Jesus is. Since many people choose this rejection, It's important for us to look at this text and to understand what John is saying here. And as we examine ourselves today, let's start at the the bottom line and be sure that we are in the faith and not headed for a death with full culpability of sin and an eternity of punishment. You shall die in your sin, verse 21. How is it that that happens? Let me give you four ways to guarantee you will die in your sin. I'm going to borrow them from the words of Jesus here. Four ways to guarantee you will die in your sin. Four ways to guarantee that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is meaningless to you. Number one, be self-righteous. That'll do it. The first guaranteed way to die in your sins is to be completely content with your own ability to please God. Believe that you can be good enough, or religious enough, or pray enough, or go to church enough, or be moral enough, or have good deeds that outweigh on some imaginary scale the weight of your bad deeds. Just be self-righteous. Look at verse 22. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. What do they mean by this? 
Well, they twisted Jesus' words to mean He must be going to hell. We're certainly going to heaven. And He must be going to a portion of hell reserved for those who commit suicide. Why did they say that? Well, an Orthodox Jew despises suicide. Always has. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the person who committed suicide went to the darkest pit of Hades. That the most heinous crime one could commit was suicide. And the darkest, blackest part of Hades was reserved for someone who killed himself. So mockingly, they are saying, well, maybe he's going to kill himself and go down to that black hole in Hades reserved for those who commit suicide, a place we certainly never will go. So they ridicule him. So confidently self-righteous, they could mock a Savior. So confidently self-righteous, they could mock the idea that they could die in their sins. I warn you, self-righteousness is deadly. It is a guarantee for dying in your sin. If you do not admit your inability to save yourself, if you do not admit that your good works achieve nothing by way of eternal salvation, if you do not admit that your religious activities, your ceremonies and rituals and church attendance and prayers and whatever else produce nothing for you by way of eternal salvation, you will die in your sins. So, you can guarantee that you'll die in your sin by just being self-righteous. Just be certain that you're not a sinner. Just be certain that you don't need saving. Just invent a lifestyle of religion that fits you. Don't admit you need a Savior. Don't pound on your breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Trust your works. Trust your religion. Trust your rituals. And I'll guarantee you, you'll die in your sin. There's a second guilt-edge guaranteed way to die in your sins in verse 23. He was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. They missed the point. That really goes with the first point. Uh, They had it backwards. They thought they were of above and He was of below. They had it reversed. Above is heaven, below is hell. You're from below. I'm from above. You've got it reversed. Then He says this, you are of this world. I am not of this world. And here's the second way to guarantee that you will die in your sins, and that is be worldly. Be earthbound. Another guarantee. Be preoccupied with the world. Live for the world. Live for the temporal system. Live for the ideologies of this world system. What does he mean when he says, you are of this world? World is a very important word in John's Gospel, and it's used with several different meanings. Sometimes it refers to people. Sometimes it refers to ideologies. Here it has to do with those ideologies, which engulf the minds of people, of course. But when he's talking about this world... He's talking about the invisible spiritual system that dominates the world. It is a system of evil. Satan is the god of this age, the prince of this this world. He is the one who has orchestrated a system of belief, a system of uh, morality, a system of religion, a system of ideologies, a system of behavior, a system of materialism, and all of that that is opposed to God. It's like 2 Corinthians 10. It's every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. It's the whole cosmos, the whole invisible spiritual system of evil. We use the word world in that way. We talk about the world of politics, the world of business, the world of medicine, the world of sports. And what we mean by that is the environment or the sphere in which those things dominate. And there is a world in which we live 
as human beings. It is, the, it is the organized system of satanic lies and deception raised up against the knowledge of God. Satan's system opposing Christ. It is a lot of philosophies and psychologies and religions and ideologies that make up unregenerate, ungodly, unbiblical thinking. And it is a world that will be destroyed. The world and all that is in it will pass away, John said. And that's why he said in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For anyone who loves the world can't love the Father. Where there is the love of the world, the love of the Father doesn't exist. Jesus points out here this great contrast. He says to them in verse 23, You are of this world. I am not of this world. We have two competing ideologies, two competing systems of thought. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And friendship with the world, James 4.4 4 says, is enmity with God. These Jewish leaders, though they would say they were religious and that they were uh, spiritual, were genuinely caught up and trapped in the satanic system of evil by which he rules the world. Sinful, selfish, earthbound souls who lived out a system controlled by the prince of this world and were separated from God and from Christ by an infinite gulf. For a man to die in his sin, all he needs to do is just be earthbound. Just believe the lies of Satan that are in the system. Just love the system and all that is in it, and that will guarantee you will die in your sins. There's a third way, and this is the crux of the passage, that you can guarantee to die in your sins. First of all, to be self-righteous and think you don't need a Savior, you can save yourself or make some contribution to saving yourself, any contribution. Secondly, by being earthbound, and that is being enamored with the world system and unwilling to let it go. And thirdly, verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Here's the third guaranteed way to be certain you will die in your sin, be unbelieving, be self-righteous, be earthbound, and be unbelieving. That's really all it takes. Be unbelieving. The only way to escape hell is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And John again, quoting his thesis in chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life through His name. No one has to die in his sins or her sins. But the one who persists in rejection will die in sin through unbelief. Now, what do we have to believe? Well, he says it right here. Unless you believe that I am He. What he's saying here is the name of God. Unless you believe that I am God, that I am the one sent from God, the great I am Himself, he uses really what is the Hebrew tetragrammaton, the name of God, the I am that I am. Unless you believe that I am, well, what does I am mean? It means all that He is. Unless you believe fully the truth about me, that's what he's saying. How does one become a Christian? By believing the truth about Jesus Christ. This is the son question, and this is the big issue. It's astonishing to me. The question being asked, what must someone believe in order to genuinely be saved? There really needs to be no 
muddy water in regard to that. It is crystal clear in Scripture. I can sum it up very simply by what Jesus said here. You must believe that I am He. What does that mean? You must believe that Christ is who He is. Well, what does that encompass? I'll give you the, what I call the drivetrain of gospel truth. The absolute necessities of gospel truth. Here's where they start. If you're going to believe the truth about Christ, here's what it includes. First of all, you have to believe in an eternal trinity. Because Christ said He was one with the Father and that He was eternal. And before Abraham was ever created, He existed. So you must believe that He is part of an eternal trinity. Anything less than a trinity makes Christ something other than who He is. So the heart of evangelical faith, the heart of gospel truth is Trinitarian, that God is three persons and yet one. To say anything other than that is to misconstrue who He is, and He says you must believe that I am who I am. So you start with believing the Trinity. Those who deny the Trinity don't understand who Jesus Christ is. They do not believe that He is who He is. Secondly, you must then believe that He is incarnate in human form that this member of the Trinity entered into human history in time and space in a human body. You must believe then in the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. And that encompasses the virgin birth, which is God's definition of how this incarnation took place so that the Christ could be born into this world sinless. And so you must believe that He is God that He is eternal, that He is a member of the eternal Trinity, that He was incarnated into the world through the Virgin Mary. Then you must believe in His sinless life, because that's true of Him as well, that He lived a sinless life. He couldn't be born like normal people were born, or He wouldn't be the God-man. And He could not have a sin in His life, or a weakness in His life, or a failure in His life, or He would not have fulfilled all righteousness, which righteousness is imputed to those who believe in Him. So you must believe in a trinity. You must believe in the eternal trinity, that Jesus Christ, a member of the trinity, was incarnated, born of the Virgin Mary, came into the world and lived a sinless life, which in fulfilling perfect righteousness became the righteousness that can be imputed to those who believe. And then you must believe that He died on the cross as a sufficient substitutionary sacrifice and atonement for sin, and that He died there and paid the penalty for the sins of all who would ever believe because that's indeed who He is, the Lamb of God. You must believe that His death satisfied God completely and that full atonement was made and that that's why God raised Him from the dead the third day and then took Him and seated Him at His right hand where He sits as Lord. He gave Him a name above every name, which is the name Lord. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for His own and ruling and someday will come again and establish His kingdom on earth and bring eternal glory to His own beloved, redeemed people. That's the heart of Christian faith. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Believe it, Christianity or Christendom as such is full of people who have a lot of information about what I've just said regarding the gospel, but who do not have that total trust in Jesus Christ alone, being who He is and being the only and the complete sacrifice for sin, therefore trusting in nothing of their own efforts or works. Sad to say, many, many who name the name of Christ and say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, are not known to Him and will die in their sins, and where He has gone, they will never come. So Jesus says to them, 
unless you believe, in verse 24, unless you believe that I am who I am, you shall die without your sins being forgiven, and you will therefore eternally pay the penalty. There is one final guaranteed way that you can die in your sins, and they exhibit this, obviously. Be uh, self-righteous, be earthbound, or be unbelieving. Fourthly, be willfully ignorant or obstinately ignorant. Verse 25, this is so amazing. So they were saying to him, who are you? This is absolutely unbelievable that they would say that. After all they had seen, after all he had done, after all they had heard, Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Talk about thick. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. He says, I've been speaking and speaking, and what I've been speaking is the very Word of God. And to show you how thick they were, verse 27, they didn't realize he had been speaking to them about the Father. Even though he said that over and over again, I and the Father are one. I don't speak of my own self. What the Father shows me, I speak. All of that he had been saying, all up to chapter 8. They'd heard it all. They heard who he was many, many times. They saw ample evidence of it, but sin produces unbelief, and unbelief produces obstinate ignorance. Jesus says in verse 29, He should have known, He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do the things pleasing to Him. You should have seen God in me. You should have known. You should have heard. But you didn't. It ends on a good note. Verse 30, as He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. That would be my prayer, that as I have spoken these things to you, as I have reiterated these words of Jesus, that many would come to believe in Him. Want to die in your sins? Just continue in your course. Just believe you're good enough the way you are. Just carry on with your love affair with human ideologies. Just refuse to believe the great truths concerning Christ. Love your sins so much that you choose the darkness and are willfully ignorant. But to do this, you're going to have to stumble over the cross. That's right. You're going to have to heartlessly, irreverently trample Christ's blood because you know the gospel. So you're going to have to stumble across the cross. Inconceivable, really. Why will you die when you can live? Why will you not accept an atonement for your sin? That's the all-encompassing question. And the answer is, you're self-righteous. You're good enough the way you are. You love the world too much. You refuse to believe. Or you love your sin and you cherish the darkness and the ignorance that comes with it. In any case, the price is eternal. This is Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Thanks for being with us. Today, John showed you four ways to miss heaven as he put the finishing touches on his study called The Sinfulness of Sin. Along with teaching each day on the radio, John also serves as Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary here in Southern California. Well, John, here's a good question to end with. What, what do you hope people will take away from this look at the sinfulness of sin, this issue of seeing and taking our own sins seriously? Why is this so important? 
Well, for two reasons. Uh, one sort of uh, secondary reason and then one primary reason. I would hope that people would take from this an understanding of how profoundly gracious the gospel is. Mm. If we understand how wretched and sinful we are, then we understand how wonderful the gospel is, because the gospel comes and says you can be fully and completely and forever. You can be fully and completely and forever forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. Mm. The grand reality of saving grace finds its beauty, finds its magnificence and its magnanimity in the understanding of how sinful sin is, Mm. because grace overwhelms even the sinfulness of sin. That's sort of a secondary reason. The primary reason is that so then subsequently you can give glory to God. Mm. You are limited in your ability to worship God as he ought to be worshiped if you have a limited understanding of the gospel. Mm. And you have a limited understanding of the gospel if you have a limited understanding of sin. If you understand the massive horror and extensiveness of sin, then you understand the glory of the gospel. Then you understand the glory of God, and you become a fully trained worshiper, you might say. So it leads ultimately to our ability to worship and praise God. And that's the reason we exist. We are those whom the Father seeks as true worshipers, and we want to worship Him in spirit and truth. That is with all of our faculties, but according to His truth, It is his truth basically built into the gospel is the foundation of our worship. So the more you know about the gospel, the better you are at worshiping. Now, it's important for you to get a copy of this series, The Sinfulness of Sin. I would say the whole evangelical church needs to hear this Hmm. because they have such a such a meager understanding of sin. And this culture believes that man is basically good. And that is the lie of all lies. We'd love to get the series to you. It's on six CDs, affordably priced. You can write, contact us, order The Sinfulness of Sin on six CDs, or you can download it at gty.org. Friend, this series will help you see how impossibly high God's standard for holiness is and how He graciously provides a way for sinners to meet that standard. It's a great study to review at your own pace. Pick up John's series, The Sinfulness of Sin, when you contact us today. Call toll-free 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. Again, The Sinfulness of Sin comes in a six-CD album. Price for the CDs is affordable and shipping is free. Or the MP3s, along with the transcripts, can be downloaded free of charge at our website. In fact, all of John's sermons, 3,500 total messages are free at gty.org. And thanks for letting us know how grace to you is helping you grow spiritually. If you've never written or if it's been a while, jot a quick note to share your story. Be sure to include the call letters of this station when you write. That's a big help. Our mailing address is Grace to You Weekend, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412 and our email letters at gty.org that's letters at gty.org now for john MacArthur, i'm phil johnson reminding you to watch grace to you television sundays on direct tv 
channel 378 or check your local listings for channel and times and then be here next week when john begins a series that will help you know for certain you're god's child it's another half hour of unleashing god's truth one verse at a time on grace to you weekend stars. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's word and the gospel. Many of the stars in our nighttime sky are actually two stars. They rotate around each other. These are called binary stars. 
Now these stars are a favorite for astronomers to study because they change quickly. Their spots and other distortions often change within months or years, so an astronomer can easily watch them happen. But this is really surprising if these are billions of years old, as evolutionists believe. These binary stars should be wearing down and changing very slowly, or not at all. Stars didn't evolve billions of years ago. They were created by God just a few thousand years ago. Science confirms the Bible again. Discover more about our young universe when you go to AnswersRadio.com and try a free seven-day trial of our new video streaming platform when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
Pluto, did it have an ocean? This is Ken Ham, author of the eye-opening book, Six Days and Church Compromise. Five years ago, New Horizons spacecraft flew past Pluto and took detailed photographs. Since then, scientists have been studying Pluto's surface for clues about how it formed, and the results are surprising. Well, for them anyway. Secular astronomers expected Pluto to be heavily cratered, but it's not. Instead, it has a young surface. It's believed this means there has been geological activity. Now, that requires heat, but Pluto's far from the sun. So this heat must have come from when Pluto was formed, which couldn't have been millions of years ago. The more we study the heavens, we see they declare a young universe. There's so much more to discover when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a complete transcript by visiting AnswersRadio.com.
This is Ken Ham, head of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Scientists classify stars by features such as colour, size and temperature. One class of stars is known as blue stars. Now these stars are very bright and extremely hot. They quickly burn through their fuel and this means blue stars can at the most be just a few million years old. But that's the problem in a billions of years old universe. You see, we find blue stars all throughout the universe, but they should have burned up by now. So astronomers must assume these bright stars are still forming, but that's never been observed. Blue stars aren't a problem in a biblical worldview. God created them just a few thousand years ago. Plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily insights from Ken at AnswersRadio.com.
finding food in the open ocean. This is Ken Ham, and we've produced the family-friendly Answers Bible Curriculum. Have you ever flown over the open ocean and wondered, with so much water, how does a creature find anything to eat? Well, when a fish moves, its brain sends out a tiny nerve impulse. It tells the muscles to contract. Those impulses create an electric field, and many sea creatures can detect these fields because of special pores. They can even tell which direction it came from. In sharks, their electroreception, as it's called, is so sensitive, they can detect an electrical field weaker than the one produced by a mere wristwatch. This ability didn't slowly develop over millions of years. It was created by God, allowing creatures to survive in a fallen world. Try a month of our Answers Bible curriculum for Sunday school for free at AnswersRadio.com and discover more fascinating radio programs like this one at AnswersRadio.com Yeah He made us all, yo Yeah God made us all, yo God made me and you Sing, children So we all have a He did it to show off his glory and worth. In Genesis 1, what we see in each verse is God made a world that is truly diverse. From icebergs to insects, tornadoes to trees. From lions to lizards, flamingos to fleas. Each in their own way, they God they are praising. Their differences cry out. God is amazing. But the crown jewel of the work of his hands are made in his image, both woman and man. We're not accidents, we are part of his plan. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go.
value all our loss All is greatly for the cross Jesus died, rose, and paid the cost God made me and you Different colors and different shades All fearfully and wonderfully made Through each the glory of God displayed God made me and you For all of value, all our loss All is greatly for the cross Jesus died, rose, and paid the cost Seeing in infrared. This is Ken Ham with a passion for sharing God's word and the gospel with the world. All this week we've been looking at incredible sixth senses God has given various creatures. Today we're looking at pit organs. These organs are found in certain snakes and they allow snakes to sense infrared. This infrared is a type of light created by heat. Pit organs are so precise they can detect variations of just a fraction of a degree. These snakes are even able to filter out background infrared coming from the environment so they can just focus on finding dinner. This complex ability didn't just evolve. It was created by God, but snakes didn't use it to find mice and rabbits in the original Very Good creation. It's a result of the fall. Want to know more about creation? Visit AnswersRadio.com and enjoy nature and more when you check out our streaming service Answers TV or visit AnswersRadio.com. Saving hands. 
flex. Redeem the people north, south, east, and west. Glorious robes in the promised land dress. We stand blessed, all because of the Lamb's death. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, who we adore, falling in our misery. You daughter into history, the pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. The ocean, the plains, the mountains, the rain. Universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide. I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. 
think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. Would Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust he died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, Never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never
the mailbag. We go this from Anani Mu. Should we use the name Allah for God with Muslims? No. I know. Not everybody agrees with that. No. I know. Some people would say, well, Allah, it's just a generic term for God in the Arabic language. It's not referring specifically to Allah. I just happen to disagree. Furthermore, we want to make a clear-cut distinction. The God of Islam is not even sort of kind of a little bit like the God of the Bible. Here is the simple question that we can ask when it comes to discerning the difference between the Christian God and the Islamic God. Which one believes Jesus is God? There's only one. Christianity. Allah does not believe Jesus Christ is God. Islam rejects Jesus. Therefore, we're not even sort of kind of worshiping the same God. God the Father is not kind of like Allah. Totally different. What's the difference? Jesus. Now, you could make a better case that the Jewish God is God the Father, because we see God the Father mostly presenting himself, although we do see the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, hence we don't unhitch it. We see the Father, who is the Jewish God. God is one. And yet, because they do not believe that that God includes Jesus, it's not the same God. Let's not give ground on this. I Reducing the ask of a Muslim, I know they sacrifice much. They get separated from family. It could be under threat of death. But isn't that exactly what Jesus commands? That you must be willing to give up everything, forsake it, and follow me. And if we're trying to use Allah to just soften the blow a bit, I don't think we're doing anybody any favors. If you have been going bonkers... That was from Wretched, and that's from their YouTube page, um, Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. This is a website, Wretched.org, which has radio show and TV shows, so check that out, Wretched.org. Now, then I'll play this.
you're missing the point. My point is, I'm living my hell and earth right here, okay, right now. Trey, Trey, um, are you an atheist? No, no, no. Um, I believe in a higher power, but we, I could, we could go on forever right here. The higher power is in you. Huh? Okay? Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt your fingers. Be careful. Yes. Okay? Um, gosh. Your God is within you. I okay. So, Craig, would you consider yourself to be a good person? I try to be. Okay, can I ask you a few questions? Instead? What goes around comes around. Yeah. Yes, yes. Can yes. I ask you a few questions? Sure, if you are a good sure, person, sure. have you ever told a lie? Of course. What does that make you? I'm still a good person. Yeah, but what do you call it if you tell a lie? You're a liar. Okay. Have you ever stolen something, even if it's small? Um, yes. And what does that make you? A thief. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. As a child. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, um, have you ever used God's name in vain? Depending on what God you're talking oh, about. God's name. God's name is <laughs> yes, that's so yeah. for me. Yeah. And it's using God's name to express disgust, yeah. which is yeah. a very serious yeah. sin. Yeah. Um, now, Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already within his heart. Well, do I look at these beautiful women here and lust over them? Surely I do. Okay. <laughs> Craig, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous adulterer. Yes. And you have to face God on Judgment Day. Yes. And God gave you a conscience so you know right from wrong. So when you stand before God on the day of judgment, do you think you'll be innocent or guilty if he judged you by the standards of the Ten Commandments? But I've already told you, I'm living my hell and earth right now, as we speak. Uh-huh. There's no judgment day for me. Yeah. I'll say it again. Let's use the word if. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments, yes. bearing in mind... I would burn everything. Would you be innocent or guilty? I'd be guilty. You'd go to hell? I would burn in hell for eternity <laughs> if I stood before God, as you said, and be judged. I would be guilty as hell. Does that concern you? No, it doesn't. Concerns me. Would you tell one of your eyes? You've got a magnificent body. No, no. Body. I wouldn't tell an eye on them. No, I wouldn't. Okay, because you... I'd either be good too. Yes. So, Craig, yes. your eyes are priceless to you. Would you sell both for 50 million? No, I wouldn't. And, and you say, I don't mind if I go to hell, when your soul is more valuable than your eyes. Your life is the most valuable thing you've got. Jesus says this. What should a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You could die tonight, and you're saying... I don't care if I go to hell. No, you're missing the point. My point is, I'm living my hell and earth right here, okay, right now, okay? You having a good time? I'm having a good time today as a present day, uh-huh. okay? And I do have hellish days, okay? I will not be judged again. There's no Are you sure? Hey, don't go. i got to tell you something. Yes, sir. One more real important thing. Craig, God gave you a conscience so you know right from wrong. Yes. So he wrote his law upon your heart. You know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to steal. You know it's wrong to lust. You know it's wrong to blaspheme. And but, kill. Yeah, and kill. So on the day of judgment, it would be without excuse. Now, you know what God did to so you? I thought we already clarified that it wouldn't be no judgment day for me. Oh, there is. It's going to be, whether we believe in it or not. So right. now, after I told you about it, are you going to preach to me? Are we preaching the family yeah, or what? i got to finish what I'm going to. Give me ten minutes because it's so important. Ten minutes? Two, no, two, ten. two, 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 two. I won't hurt you. Okay. Hang in there. You don't need to be intimidated by me. You know what God did so you wouldn't have to go to hell? He sent his son, born of a woman, to die on the cross for you. Whether you believe in hell or judgment or not, Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sin. What is it to know you? Christian. Yeah. I'm born a Christian, anyhow. But I've changed up. You've got to be born again, John chapter 3. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for your sin. And if you repent and trust in Jesus, God will forgive every sin you committed, and you'll escape the damnation of hell. That's the gospel. And I wouldn't lie to you.
I don't want you to go to hell. Heard so. God doesn't want you to go to so, hell. So you're going to help me right now? Yeah, I'll give you a million dollars. You gave it to me and I gave it back. <laughs> Do you have a Bible at home, Greg? I have plenty of them. Oh, please check it out. I wouldn't like you. I'm telling the gospel truth. Hang on, thank you for talking to me. My pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. All right. God bless you. God bless you. And you can find out Living Waters on YouTube and also their website, livingwaters.com, L-I-V-I-N-G-W-A-T-E-R-S.com, livingwaters.com. And thanks for listening to me and Mark Cantrell here on Truth Be Tall Radio. Next I got for you is, this is Goldfish with Praise Your Name. All I want to do is praise your name From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same You are my God and all I want to do is praise your name Eternity, I will praise your name. 
This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Lessons from John R.W. Stott. This is Wretched Radio. There was, once upon a time, an Anglican theologian who died in the year 2011, who had a very big impact on evangelical Christianity, died in the year 2011, was recently reading a little insight into the man and his study habits, his quiet time, how deep of a thinker he was, even though most likely you wouldn't agree with everything. Nevertheless, one of the lines in this insight into this man's world was that he really got annoyed when somebody would go into social media, having read a well-researched book, find a sentence, find a phrase, and then just discredit the whole shebang because, ah, ha, ha, right there, see? So therefore, the whole thing is garbage. Instead of entering into it and maybe looking past the things you disagree with to learn something. And I would like to see if you and I can do that right now. I hold an article in my hand, Preparing Our Hearts for Exile, written by Modern Reformation. Good folks there. And some of the article, I think you could read and go, that's it, I'm out, because you might not agree with everything in it. But I would like to use this as a really challenging opportunity to see if you and I need to do some examining individually so that we can make any adjustments, so that God's kingdom can grow. This is a challenging article, and it might really challenge you, and you might be inclined to go, click, because you don't agree with a particular observation. I think it's pretty thoughtful overall. So let's utilize this as a self-examination tool to just ask, do I need to do any tweaking as a Christian? And please note this, I really don't have you in mind as I do this. I'm I'm, I'm not even necessarily thinking about evangelical Christianity as a whole. This is not intended to be a critique. At least that's not the way that I'm using it. This is not intended to be, yep, that's the problem with the evangelical community. There's Big Eva for you. Yep, there's the problem with the moral majority. I, I, I want to do this individually. Knowing that this election was ordained for me, it was ordained for you, let's see if we need to make some adjustments from this article at Modern Reformation. How we got here, why are we in the place that we are in today? Quote, none of this should have come as the complete and total shock to Christians that it now appears to be. It seems that many Christians are falling into the same trap as the broader culture, letting stunned belief turn into anger, anxiety, and despair. If you're experiencing anger, anxiety, despair, this would tag you. And that would mean we're reacting to this more like the pagans than like Jesus. Is there any room for righteous indignation? Of course there is, but let's be honest with ourselves. It's really easy to tuck sinful anger underneath the column of righteous anger and not really ask, all right, how am I feeling about these people? Am I am I actually annoyed at what seventy some million people 
who endorsed abortion, the dismantling of marriage, and a culture that has caused a great deal of flourishing. Do I see those people as idiot enemies? That's probably not righteous anger. If we see them, however, as the harvest field, lost, we understand their confusion. Of course they're acting like pagans. They're pagans. Of course they are. You can examine yourself. I'll examine myself. What is your emotion toward those folks? A few uh, conjectures as to our blind spots over the past several decades from this article. Christians, now remember, this is his, his observation about evangelicalism in general. Think self. Christianity became so identified with one party that they largely lost their influence with people who identified with the other party. I know that hurts. I get that. I feel that. I, I think that we still need to at least try to swallow it and ask the question, did I compromise my witness by perhaps being too enthusiastic or maybe not even practicing good discretion? Maybe that's something we, we can think through. Recognizing the antagonistic divide in this country is basically, this is light and darkness going on. If I positively speak really about the party that I prefer, I'm really poking people in the eye. And it could cause them to be blinded to the gospel. I have to ask that question. That maybe when I have the opportunity to engage in those conversations around the water cooler, I ask, okay, wait a second. I want to be about growing God's kingdom. Is it necessary that I jump into this fray? Doesn't mean the fray doesn't exist. Doesn't mean you can't work toward that. What I'm saying is, are we practicing discretion considering how people feel about those who are opposed to their political perspectives? Just asking the question. We saw a subset of unbelievers as the enemy rather than unbelief itself. What's the problem for people who are pro-abortion, pro-absolute and utter sexual confusion? What's their problem? They're lost. They're lost. They're unbelievers. Of course that's how unbelievers think. Of course that's how they vote. Now the, the danger is I see them as a political problem, and I don't put it in the realm of the spiritual to recognize, oh, this is a soul problem. These people need the gospel. And there's another challenge in this, and I get this is a challenge. So please, this, please note, here's the, this is the, the nota bene to this entire conversation. I'm just looking at it. I'm, I'm, I don't have an angle in this game, so I'm not, I'm not trying to play stratego here. But is it possible that when we have been talking so much about these issues that we have, we have forgotten the fact that they are just plain lost and what they need is salvation first to fix their thinking? Because when we went about the business of just trying to change their thinking, what group does that? What biblical people tried to change the morals and the behavior of other people? They were the Pharisees. And we're not. We're the Christians. Now, here's where I get it. It gets really difficult. We want people, nevertheless, to be behaving morally. Do you feel that tension? We want good laws. We want good politicians because we want to be safe. And we know what's best for people. We really do. 
So I get that balance, and that is why maybe we're imbalanced, because this is a balance. This isn't like, oh, you've done it completely wrong. We need to do it completely right. No. We want people to be even protected from themselves. And so we desire good laws, good politicians. But if we have forgotten what has brought them to this place, then all we are doing, all we're doing is imposing values. And if that is the louder message that they hear, then, then they, they think that we're just pharisaical and then hypocritical when they find a bad guy who's blown it. So here's what I, I might suggest we consider. How do we find this balance? I don't think it is by saying, that's it, we're done with politics, we're not going to talk about these things. That's wrong, because there are realms of authority, and we Christians can speak into all of them. It's just how we do it. So if the only voice that they've been hearing from evangelicals has been, you're behaving wrong, you're thinking wrong, you're voting wrong, if that's the, if that's the message that they overwhelmingly hear, then you can understand why they resent us, because they think we're Pharisees and hypocrites. Now, does that mean we shouldn't talk about these things? And I think the answer to that question is no. But I would suggest to you that they need to hear the other speaker. Right, they're, they're hearing the one, one speaker, which is saying, hey, morality and politics, it's important stuff. They're not hearing the other speaker, and I wonder if it's because we are not actually communicating through that speaker, which is the speaker of the gospel, the speaker of Jesus dying on the cross, the speaker of repentance and faith. I would like to suggest we think this through carefully, not veering from one ditch to the other, and maybe recognize the danger of this realm in our age. It didn't used to be like this. It is now. So we need to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, not disengaging, but considering how we engage. Maybe Maybe we do, maybe we don't need to adjust our volume on the political speaker. But might I suggest we turn it up when it comes to the gospel speaker? Let them be hearing the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, forgiveness of sins, run to the Savior, fling yourself at his feet. He will not cast you out. Repent of your sins. He'll forgive you like he's forgiven me. And maybe if they hear that as the dominant sound from the evangelical community, Maybe somebody will get saved and they're thinking it'll get cleaned up, and maybe they just won't think that we're as obnoxious as they currently think that we are, because I think they do. So question, as we all do self-examination, what's the volume of each one of your speakers? And do you possibly need to make a volume adjustment? This is Wretched Radio. That was from Retro Radio, and I got from their YouTube page, Wretched um, channel. So check out Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, and their website, Wretched.org, for a radio show and TV show. And once again, Wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, Wretched.org. And you're sending me Melissa Cantrella, Truth Be Told Radio. And what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to play a song from Goldfish called Walk With God.
Bye for now. The 